people first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Shri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello, welcome to People Strategy Leaders Podcast. This is a two-part podcast with Laura Begg, where we will be talking in part one about talent philosophy and in part two about implementation of that talent philosophy into a talent strategy. I hope you enjoy the part one. Hello and welcome to People Strategy Leaders Podcast. This is Sri Chalapa. I'm today joined with Laura Begg. Laura Begg is joining us today to discuss the importance of having a talent philosophy and strategy in organizations. Laura is a senior level HR talent leader and coach with 20 years of experience, most recently in healthcare technology. She has a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. Her leadership coaching is based on her learning of neuroscience, her knowledge of employee relations and her experience in talent development. When she's not working on growing organizations, teams and individuals and HR infrastructure, Laura enjoys challenging outdoor adventures, travel, live music, gardening, and spending time at the beach or boating with family. Well, welcome to the show, Laura. It's such a pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you, Shri. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as you know, this is one of my favorite topics. So um, I'm really pleased to spend some time with you and talk about it and to share some information with your your audience. Yeah, this will be great because you know we've been working together for, I don't know, six years now. You were actually one of our first dozen clients at Engagely. So thank you for you know reposing your faith in our product and our solution and our team. Uh, and over the years, obviously, we've talked dozens of times. And one of the things that really resonated with me the last time we were talking um, is really this whole concept of talent philosophy, how organizations should really have a core talent philosophy. Um, but the other thing that I found interesting is that the talent strategy part of that as well. So a lot of organizations talk about talent strategy. You talked about talent philosophy distinctly from talent strategy. So can you talk to me about the difference between the two, maybe explain what talent philosophy is and what talent strategy is and how does one weave into the other? Absolutely. Yeah, so when we talk about a talent philosophy, what we're usually talking about, Tree, is a high level statement of an organization's core beliefs, principles, values that relate to talent management. Um, a talent philosophy is more like a guiding principle, if you will, that drives all of the decisions, all of the um, practices and actions that you make around your talent decisions. Um, and basically, it's how we think about our talent. It's how we manage our talent. Um, <clears throat> and it's how we expect them to really deliver on our business imperatives. So it's it's pretty broad brush. Um, <clears throat> having Having a talent philosophy ensures a, a clear construct for making decisions in alignment across the entire organization. And that's a really important part of that, that puzzle. Um, it's, it's a commonly known part of your brand. 
And it's essential because it ultimately can guide the organization to higher levels of employee engagement, um, performance, business success across the board. And so as an example, a broad talent philosophy might include, you know, a nod to teamwork, if that's your organization's um, main approach, or family life balance, DEI, you know, things like that, um, or even just talent as a differentiator. Versus a talent strategy, which is a little bit different. So your talent strategy, um, which is also sometimes called a talent management strategy, is more of a practical application of your philosophy. So once the leadership and the employees and your you know, um, HR team, your managers, et cetera, have an agreed upon philosophy, then they can create talent strategies that align with it. And this would include things like the development of your policies, your practices, um, you know, your, uh, you know, your, and, and it also would provide a construct for uh, all of the talent decisions that are made within the organization. So clarity, communication, consistency, all of those things um, relating to your strategy then drive your business results. So philosophy is more like a core set of principles you want to work around and under, and strategy is really the implementation of those principles into actual tools and process and training and things of this nature. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Together, so that's a that's a great way of doing it. So what is um, you know a lot of organizations uh, obviously implement tools like ours for talent for implementing the talent strategy, but you are saying that really should they should start with the philosophy first and then go down to the strategy and then the tools essentially, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. why do you think it's important to do that in that order? So why should talent philosophy come first? Well, you know, the talent philosophy is really what's gonna drive um, the success of the business. And, and here's sort of how, if I, I think about it in this way. Um, the, the main benefit is that your talent philosophy is gonna drive the attraction of talent to your organization, right? Which is gonna be your main differentiator, right? Talent is you know, a huge part of our uh, overall expense for an employer. So we've gotta start with getting the right talent in and having the right philosophy makes us an employer that's differentiated from, um, from the rest of the sort of the, the, you know, the employers that are out there. So we attract the right candidates, we bring them in and we align them with the company vision and mission. Um, we also get the benefit of retaining our, our key talent. So, you know, you're, when you have a, a clear philosophy, you're, you know, promoting employee satisfaction, you're promoting engagement, um, retention by creating supportive and inclusive uh, workplace that, um, you know, whose culture is consistent and, you know, uh, aligned across all um, levels of the organization. Um, the, the philosophy aligns with your business goals. So, you know, a key starting point is what are the goals of the business? And you have to make sure that your talent practices are in sync with those organizational strategic objectives. And then um, that consistency, you know, uh, reduces amb ambiguity and enhances fairness across the organization. And that that links directly back to the systems and the tools that you're going to use later, right? Um, 
And so employers have a, a distinct competitive advantage when they start at the top with creating that philosophy um, and you know, differentiate their company in the job market and enhance its reputation as an employer of choice. So I think the philosophy is really the starting point. Um, the strategy then comes into play after that. And you have to build out, you know, what is, you know, what are the systems, what are the talent management priorities, your performance systems, your compensation systems, all of those things come along with it um, before then you can, you know, leverage the tools that you have to then go out to the organization and say, this is the way it needs to be done. You already have the guidelines for, for how, and then you go into the, you know, into the details of, of such. So, yeah, um, I think so one, a couple of takeaways that I'm taking from this discussion. One is your talent philosophy closely aligns to your organizational values and your mission, if you will, as well, uh, because you're saying if your organizational values, you know, a lot of organizations have the value of teamwork. Mm -hmm. or we are, there's no I in the V or whatever, I in team, things like that, right? right Which are right. different variations of the same team. That, so that obviously you're talking about talent at the point, you know, you're talking about, you know, one of the organization philosophies we have is growth mindset, you know, we have teamwork, everybody's in customer service, you know, extreme uh, uh, ownership, those are all things that can weave into talent philosophy for us as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and then strategy uh, derives from the philosophy because it keeps the strategy honest then. If you are doing, let's say your philosophy is that we, we must focus on development and growth and things like that. And you, in, but then in your standard strategy, you're focusing on forcing everybody on a bell curve. Right. Things of this nature, then you're violating your talent philosophy in some cases. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying potentially your strategy can be clashing with philosophy if you don't use talent philosophy as your, as your guidepost. Would yeah. you agree with that? I, I absolutely agree. And, and say you, I mean, just as a, a sort of a generic example, if you have a, a, a philosophy that is, you know, let's say the customer, you know, we live and die by the customer demands, right? Or whatever it might be. So say it's, it's a customer focus thing, um, which many companies do, right? And you have this organization that is, you know, builds its product or its service around the customer and, you know, reaches out to the customer and, um, you know, has all their data analytics based on the, the customer feedback and so on and so forth. And you have people in your organization, you have sales and design people, development, account management, all these people whose job it is to make sure that um, our customer is getting the very best from either the service or the product that we're providing, right? If we don't have an approach, a, a general sort of guiding principle or a philosophy um, as we're talking about here, to you know, to set the bar at a high level, then you know the people who are managing those customer relationships are not you know consistently delivering what we expect our customers to receive, and so there's a there's a disconnect there. Yeah, you, you know, you wouldn't go to your your investors without a sound business strategy, right? So why would you go? Uh, to them without a sound talent strategy? When right, and then your talent strategy performance management processes, your compensation processes, your recognition, rewards recognition, reflect that approach. Absolutely. Right? Customers, customers that's success. absolutely right. Yep. Customer yep. comes first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, without that, obviously, you can be all over the place. Your strategy could change from day to day or, or even year to year if your philosophy is not well-defined. 
right? That's One day, right. year you could be compensation based on ratings. The other year, other year you could be compensation is based on whoever feels they want to give raise to their employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, things of nature, which could really alter the behaviors and the culture of the organization. So, um, you know, one of the so you know one of the questions I I had when we talked about this also is, you know, how do you maybe can you describe like a step by step approach or how do you build a talent philosophy and who do you involve in that and how long should it take you know if, if i'm the ceo and i tell my chro and my team like we need to have a strong talent philosophy go and do it like if, as a chro what would be what, what's your game game plan look like at that point well, you know, um, there are several components that you have to consider when coming up with a talent philosophy. And keep in mind that the objective is to have a set uh, of guiding principles on, you know, on level of performance, on behaviors that are expected, um, on how we reward and re- we recognize, how we communicate um, performance deficits, and you know how we determine. Um, acceptable levels of accountability from, say, our um, our leadership or and from our employees. So, um, so when we talk about creating a talent philosophy, there needs to be buy-in across the board. And um, usually, organizations make a, a slight miscalculation, in my view, where they um, decide that the philosophy should come from the people team or the HR team, um, people and culture, whatever whatever they call it. Um, but what's interesting is there there was some research, and I'll, I'll quickly reference it. Um, there's there's something called the uh, International Journal of Human Resources. Believe it or not, there is one of those. Oh, nice! I, I yeah, should, like, <laughs> I, I've never heard of it before. Yeah, no. Um, and so uh, what what you what I saw in there was a, an article that was published in 2020 on this very thing about um, the variation in talent talent. Uh, philosophies and what that means, and especially when it's coming only from an HR perspective. And um, in this particular study, which comes out of like social psychology and uh, positive psychology, um, there there clearly is not one way to go. So there's no one particular you know decision and say, this is the way we're gonna go. And th- these are all the strategies that sort of, sort of fall behind that. Um, what, what they found was that, um, there's sort of this, this you know, um, uh, you know, the way they they did this study was they determined that philosophies were either uh, ex- exclusive or inclusive, or mm-hmm. they were stable or developable. Meaning, you know, like it's, it's something your talent is innate or it's, it's it can be developed, yeah. and all of those things in between. And um, what they found was that you know, in like for example, exclusive and stable. Um, organizations where the philosophy is is that um, you know only a small percentage of, of employees have talent and special innate skills, right? Those folks are going out and they're looking to get their talent. They they would enter a talent war. They'd be you know focusing on you know where to source that key talent that they believe they don't have internally, you know. Versus another completely different viewpoint, which is you know um, a person regardless of what their innate abilities are, they can become extraordinary through training and so on. And you can imagine then the philosophy that would go along with that, which would be, you know, of course, let's, uh, let's, let's build, you know, let's build the the talent and so on and so forth and, and everything in between. 
And so when you think about how your philosophy might differ in the organization, then you realize that, you know, you can't just have it come from one person because then you have a bias, right? You have one perspective. So the the, the first thing um, I would do is to make sure to go out and um, include, uh, you know, a, a number of, a number of people, a number of, you know, key, who I would view as key stakeholders. Um, and, you know, that would include your executives because they need to, executives and leadership need to be included in the, in the dialogue. They are the ones that are gonna provide the strategic direction to you. Um, and they're gonna be the ones that ultimately ensure alignment. So you need to include them. Um, HR professionals, that goes without saying. I mean, a lot of the work that will come after that philosophy is developed is going to be executed by your HR team. Mm -hmm. um, of course, with other, you know, other, other, um, you know, thought influencers across your organization and so on, and your and your managers and supervisors, but they should be clearly involved from the beginning. Um, employees. Um, there's no reason why you can't include include employees in this discussion ahead of time. And, you know, think about the diverse nature of the jobs in your organization and the diverse nature of your workforce. And so you would get some valuable insights by, you know, by including employees in the in the dialogue, um, the managers and supervisors. And then, um, you know, of course, those are the those are the ones that are going to be responsible for that day to day um, fostering of the you yeah. know, the procedures and so on. And then lastly, you might want to include um, someone from your legal and compliance, depending upon the type of talent philosophy you create, you want to make sure that, that it's in compliance with your um, yeah. relevant laws and, and so on. So, but regardless of how you gather your group and your team to begin the discussions about this, you want to make sure that there's a key understanding that your senior executive team, ultimately, they will be the decision makers about what that philosophy looks like. Um, but you want to make sure that it's informed decision making. So, um, so that's key. Um, yeah, I could see, uh, Laura, not to interrupt you, uh, but you know, when you're talking about in including multiple executives and leadership and even directors and managers, I could see that some kind of a disconnect or, or not necessarily disconnect, but disagreement, if you will, between the approaches, right? Because you talked about the quadrant of different types of talent philosophy where one yeah. is focused more around acquiring the best talents in the market. You know, I was watching this show, Suits, which is, I know it's dated, but they only <laughs> hire from Harvard. That's the only college they hire from, right? Is Harvard. Right. As if Columbia and Yale don't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I went to state school, so even even worse in that case. But, and then there's other people who, who are like, we'll hire the best talent wherever they are, regardless of their college degree, or maybe lack of one, and we'll develop them as long as they have the right aptitude and the right attitude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what if you have one leadership group saying, no, I only hire from Ivy Leagues and, you know, I'm not going down to hire from state schools or tier three companies. I only hire from the, uh, you know, the, the fangs, if you will, or the big tech companies. Mm -hmm. And the other one is like, I'm going to find the best people wherever they are. If they work for a small, uh, IT services company in Tupelo, Mississippi, so be it. You know, I'm going to hire that person from there. Mm -hmm. So how do you reconcile that? I mean, it probably becomes your job becomes difficult, you know, or, or on the flip side, after you hire them, one of them believes that this talent can be developed, even though they are not a great fit for this role, I'll find a different role to do that. Another leadership be like, if this person is not working out, I'm just going to let the person go. 
mm-hmm. right? instead of focusing on spending my time developing this person or trying to try to find the right place for this person in the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is why you convene a group of people to have this dialogue because if you don't have consensus in the end about what your approach is going to be, then you don't reap the benefits of having a talent philosophy. Right. So the, the whole point of bringing in different people is to gain to gain perspective, to understand why, to see if this is just a bias or actually something that's proved. Right. And that's where, you know, whomever is your facilitator, if it's your HR talent leadership, then, you know, great. If not, you know, but that's where that's where their facilitation and their and the dialogue comes into play. Um, You know, and there's always compromise. Right. So there's always a way to come to some sort of, you know, key understanding and agreed upon construct so that you can all at least reference back to that and not be inconsistent about I, it. I, you know, I think one of the aspects probably is important here is that the CEO has to truly buy in that philosophy. The CEO or whoever the senior leadership is, whether it's president or CEO, CEO, whoever is actually running the show um, has to truly buy in that into that because you're asking some people who are senior, well set in their ways, mm-hmm. to change in some cases. And if their leader, leader see the C, the C level person is not bought into it, there's nobody to keep them accountable. Uh, that that department is going to continue functioning one way. This department is going to fun- continue functioning one way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a problematic situation. So I think I you know starting the top absolutely becomes critical and see it. It's not like the HR team's role. Mm-hmm. to yeah. say, you know, this is the philosophy, do it. You really need this, the leadership That's on, right. on this. Well, and, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. You have to have that buy-in. Um, I, you know, m- my feeling whenever there, you know, whenever you need to sort of, you know, come to some consensus is look, look to the, look to the data, you know, look to the information. Um, you know, people normally react well when they see the, the proof in front of them. Um, there, there are many groups, consulting groups and otherwise, who will um, help form talent strategies by first surveying, right? Um, getting some sort of, of data based on what your organization, uh, or organization philosophy and, and vision and mission is right so they'll there's a sequence of questions that can go along with that and people can get that when you're in a group and you're you know the first step here is discussing what a talent philosophy is and getting feedback and helping uh to understand um the you know the the situation from different perspectives and sharing you know what is uh your qualitative feedback with the leadership so all of that has to be shared up front before there's going to be buy-in but there are ways to, you know, to assess what's happening now in the organization versus where we need to be. What is the result of the behavior and the, you know, approach that's that's happening right now versus where we need it to be, right? So you, if you want to be that differentiator, people will eventually, you know, give their feedback and and study it and review it and discuss it and and get in line. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... You know, you you obviously have done this a few times now. Um, in my you know years of interacting with you and our teams interacting with you, we've learned a lot from you as well. You know what? Um, 
you know what you know what examples do you have of companies where they've done it really well or maybe even from your own experience where you've done it really well it'd be helpful to get some real life stories of success yeah um you know there are a lot of great examples out there um and companies who who do this well and of course we always hear about the big companies because they're the ones that are in the news and they're the ones that share their information and um, and what have you. So of course I have some examples that are, you know, Amazon and Google and, you know, and so on and so forth. But I wanna make sure that, um, that your audience understands that talent philosophies are not exclusive to big companies. Right. And they, they can really be, you know, be easily created um, in small to mid-sized companies, and then you can drive your your talent management strategy based off of that. But um, but I found a few that I thought were interesting. And what I would say to you is, when you think about that, you know that sort of um, you know graph that I was telling you about, you know where you know people are in a war for talent versus people are going to train everybody in the whole organization, you know, and or or we're going to just focus on high potential, or you know, when you think about those things. Um, you know, think about it in the context of me sharing a talent philosophy from a couple of different places and uh, see what comes up for you. Um, I'll go with Google first because, um, you know, why not? Everybody does. (laughs) So Google, talent philosophy, hire smart, ambitious people and empower them to do their best work. Now, Google that talent philosophy basically emphasizes the importance of exceptional individuals, right? Who are not only talented, but are also very driven and very ambitious, right? So the company values autonomy and trust in its employees to innovate and create value. So that comes out in their statement, right? Yeah. Here's here's another one, Um, Southwest Airlines. I like this one. Hire for attitude and train for skill. I I love that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so Southwest Airlines, they have a talent philosophy that underscores the importance of attitude and cultural fit, right? They feel like they're candidates that are coming in that have a positive, um, you know, attitude and good customer relations skills. That's what they want because their belief is that they can train all the rest. Yes. Right. So when you think about that, that's sort of a developable, developable, inclusive, right? Everyone can become talented through training sort of mindset, right? That they've decided on. Yeah. Um, Another good one that's very different is Netflix. So Netflix says, you know, the best thing you can do for employees, a perk better than foosball or free sushi is to hire only A players to work alongside them. Yeah, well, that goes back to goes back to the other side of philosophy. We'll only hire from top tier schools or maybe top tier talent. That right, right, right. We don't right. mind what we what we because you know they can pay they pay a lot of money. So yeah, can, I mean they can they and they will pay a lot of money with a with a right. philosophy like that. That's what they will pay for that, and they will only hire a players. And that goes to your Harvard example, perhaps, or you know, Stanford or wherever, you know, people have a bias and think that, you know, those those are the top talent and that that's what they're going to go for. So that's exclusive and stable philosophy, right? Yeah. So 
there's there's a whole bunch. I mean, Zappos has, you know, our whole business is based on customer service and we want our employees to be happy. So they will make our customers happy. Right. Very employee centric approach to a talent philosophy. And, you know, I love that. Um, so, you know, there's there's a bunch more. But, you know, if separating out from these massive companies that, um, you know, that everybody sort of knows about, then what what do we have for just, you know, just for your average small company or midsize company? And, you know, I I just I wrote a couple this morning. I'm like, OK, well, um, we believe in high levels of sustained performance from our team members and our leaders. Boom. That's it. It's a philosophy, you know, and, I, you know, granted, I did that on my own. I would do that with, you know, in, in collaboration. But um, these are things that you can do. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 50 company or if you're if you're not. Um, we are clear in how and when we reward our employees and differentiate rewards based on contribution to the business. Right. That's a philosophy. So, you know, so those are just some examples of of, you know, um, yeah, I think so as you talk about the philosophies obviously you can you can have a philosophy which are two, two or three sentences long but you really detail out what that means right all the way through mm -hmm. um, for example the last example you gave about reward based on performance or, or to some to some extent something like that what does it actually mean in terms of your philosophy of hiring your philosophy of retaining your philosophy of promoting your philosophy of development and talent mobility within the organization things of this nature do you mm -hmm. think that is part of the philosophy framework or is that part of the talent strategy framework it becomes part of your talent strategy i mean if you agree that in that example you know that we reward employees and differentiate um, our rewards based on contributions to the business then we have to have really clear performance criteria Right. So we have to have very good uh, goal setting process. We have to, you know, um, have some approach of how we're going to check in frequently to make sure people are uh, hitting their goals, how we measure their goals. Right. Um, and then uh, maybe re we reward based on, you know, something other than an annual performance rating, for example. You know, maybe we're doing frequent check ins. Maybe we're basing it on a, on a completion of a sprint or you know, an implementation that just happened um, where, you know, all hands were on deck, you know, 24 seven, we look at different ways that we can reward um, based on contribution in real time. So we would, we would change our approach to, you know, compensation, let's say in this case, so that we can differentiate across our workforce and make sure that we are um, meeting people where they are based on the work that they're doing real time. Um, so, you know, so those things come out of of a philosophy as simple as a, a statement like that. You know, if we if we want people to feel we're an employer that differentiates in that way and we're going to make that part of our our brand, which it is, it becomes part of your, you know, your hiring tools. It's on your career website. It's you know, it's in your your materials that you're using to engage employees right internally. And you're doing that consistently, by the way. Right. Um, then, you know, there, there's the benefit. Yeah. Okay. So I want to put you on the spot. If you were the CEO of a, <laughs> you know, a, a thousand person company, so we're not going to go fortune 500, we're going to go a mid-sized organization. What would your talent philosophy be? 
Uh, well, you know, that's really. <laughs> that's You're the CEO. Really you have the ultimate say, right? You I can, can you give me a little more? The industry, the, you know. Like, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's in the technology sector of some sort. Uh, <laughs> big enough, I guess, you know, but still specific enough, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, all I would say to you is you, you really have to, um, Think about, you know, who is your customer? What do you need from them? What right. is the expectation of your employees? You have to go back and, you know, and consider all of those elements before you can say. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. Because, you know, it's, if, it's too, a, if you're a CEO of Southwest versus a CEO of Netflix, you would have different philosophies because absolutely. Netflix really need deep tech and talent in, in technology and analytical skills and all of that. Southwest really wants customer service to be their key focus and people who have a smile on their face, you know, regardless of the fact that they are flying through turbulence every day. So <laughs> I think I think you obviously need a different, you know, a deep tech is not going to help you in, in Southwest in that sense, you know, and the same thing uh, is not going to help you in, in Netflix either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I think that, um, organizations have similar problems um, and similar needs and and then there are differences and you've got to you know what where are your problems you know that's the other thing is think about what are what are the business issues that you're trying to solve for what are the business imperatives and do you have a problem uh, recruiting talent you know acquiring key talent to fill the jobs and then I would, you know, you sort of work backward from where, what is the problem? And then how, how do we determine what that, what the so solution is here? And, um, you know, you know, is it that we don't have a good reputation uh, in the field? Is it, you know, are, are our employees um, valuing anything in particular about our organization that they can, um, they can support and, and champion and, you know, help with our, uh, with our talent strategy. Um, so I, I guess when I think about, you know, how does someone um, come up with something like this? The first question is, why is it important? And for all the reasons that I talked about early on, um, you know, it seems like it's a no brainer for companies to just get their, their handle around this and, um, you know, and make sure they understand who they wish to be. Yeah, yeah. And who they wish to have in their team. And who they who they need who they yeah. need to drive that those those business uh, objectives forward for sure. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure talking to you about talent philosophy. It's a subject that I was not expecting to have a discussion a couple of weeks back, and then we talked about preparing for this, and I realized that was such an important topic uh, because we usually try to run for the trees without first figuring out the words. Um, yeah. Where can people reach out to you, read more about you? I don't know if you've written anything around this. Obviously, it sounds like a great article or, or even a book if you haven't written one yet. No, uh, no I haven't. I, you know, I mean, my my knowledge comes from just, you know, figuring it out, honestly, the way many talent management professionals have had to figure it out. Um, you do the research, you know, there's there. I can be reached on LinkedIn, um, you know, um, so my LinkedIn um, you know, Laura, Laura Begg, I'm, I think I'm the only Laura Begg, but it's, you know, LinkedIn slash in slash L Begg. Um, if people want to reach out to me, that's fine. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll I'll turn it into a, a little bit of an article or a tutorial that I'll share out on LinkedIn with folks. You know, we we didn't get into the sort of the step by step of you know the mechanics of it. Um, I can go into that a little bit more if people need some guidance there, and I'm I'm happy to do that for for you, your team, or for uh, any of your audience members. Awesome. Well, thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shri. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders Podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.